you have your Bible tonight, go ahead and be turning to the book of Joshua, chapter number 4. Joshua 4, we'll be looking at some passages there in just a moment. And as you're turning over there, I know, as we always say on one of these days where you have lunch and then come right back in, I know how hard it is to stay awake. So I decided what we're going to do this afternoon is play a game. Okay, y'all want to play a game while we're going on this afternoon? What we're going to do is whoever goes to sleep, the rest of us, we're going to go all together hover around them. We're going to get right down in their face. And we're going to watch them until they wake up. And when they wake up, we'll see, you know, watch them jump because they'll, they'll jump because what in the world's going on? Did I pass out or something? I bet they won't have a soul go to sleep today, will we? We won't even get to play. I don't know how that'll work out. Joshua chapter 4, that's where we are tonight, we want to, or this afternoon, that's where we want to spend some time as we're catching ourselves up. We have spent time in Joshua chapter 3. It's that chapter where we see God saying that the Ark of the Covenant is going to go before them. We studied about that. We saw that the Bible said when the priests who were bearing the Ark, when they stepped into the water, that raging water of the River Jordan, when they stepped in it, some 20 miles upstream, the water stopped and began to pile up as though there had been a dam that had been built. And for that 20 miles or so, it had flown on down so that these people could walk across on dry ground. They, they were able to take all of their families, all of their belongings, all of their uh, things, implements of war and, and everything that they needed. They were able to walk across on dry land. And we spent quite a bit of time, because there's so much in Joshua chapter 3, we could have spent a couple more weeks, you know, talking about different aspects of it, but we'll never get through the book of Joshua in a year if we don't. Go ahead and move on. But, but what I want us to do tonight is move on to chapter 4, and we'll, we'll see the people as they have crossed over, and uh, they're on the, on the opposite side of the River Jordan now. And uh, there, there's some things that, as we look at it, that will should at least, I think, jump out at us that, that we'll need to talk about that, that will be helpful to us as we live our lives here in the 21st century. So if you have your Bible tonight, as we think about Joshua chapter 4, let's read together verses 1 through 7 to begin with. Joshua chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. When all the nations had finished passing, passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. He goes on and says, And bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. 
As we look at those verses, we could talk about a number of things tonight, but we could talk about the memorial aspect of it. And I've used this passage in dealing with memorials, you know, on days like Memorial Day and things of that nature, the value of memorials. And and some of the things that we notice this afternoon will have uh, a little bit of that flavor with it. But, But I want you to think about the statement that was made there. What do these stones, when your children ask, what do these stones mean to you? Think about that phrase. God says there will come a time when, when, when the people, after they've crossed over and these stones are, are laid down there, there will come a, people, come a time when people will walk by, little kids will walk by, and they'll see that stack of stones, and they'll say, what do these stones mean? You know, that's not the only time in that chapter, if you drop on down to verses 21 and 22, you got the same thing said again. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. Again, there's that question. What do these stones mean? What do these stones mean? Well, this afternoon, as we think about this passage, there are some things that, that I think we need to glean from this very question, from, from the idea that is presented here. What do these stones mean? Well, number one, I want us to understand that we need to be mindful of generations yet to come. Especially in verses 21 and 22, we have God portraying what's going to happen in the future. As I just stated, little children will walk by and they'll ask Mama and Daddy, what do these stones mean? What is this? We need to be mindful of future generations. You know, when I think about that idea of being mindful of future generations, I think about sometimes politicians and the conversation that goes on with politicians. And, and you know, rather than solving some of the debt problems and things of that nature, you, you'll hear this a lot of times. Well, they kicked the can down the road. And now our children are going to have to deal with it in years to come. Somebody, you know, is thinking about future generations. Well, there are others who think about future generations. What about environmentalists? You know, those who say, well, we really need to be taking care of our natural resources, you know, because what's going to happen in years to come when our children, they run out of all of these things that God has so richly and abundantly supplied us with. People think about future generations a lot. And that's not a bad thing. I'm suggesting today that that we need to be mindful of generations yet to come. But I think we need to add something to that. You know, it's not just debt. It's not just natural resources. It's not just things of that nature that we need to be mindful of. We need to be mindful for the future generations so that we can teach our children about our spiritual heritage, about their spiritual heritage. You remember, God says, when you put these stones out there, they're going to ask questions. Now what are you going to tell them? You're going to tell them about the day when God stopped the water from flowing and you walked across. You're going to tell them about God. The water didn't just quit. It didn't just dam up and quit and it was forever stopped. There's still a Jordan River and it's still flowing today. But there was a day when it stopped so that 
Hundreds of thousands of people could walk across on dry ground. And it was flooding that day. You remember we talked about that in chapter 3? And God, He stopped the water from flowing. We're still talking about that. All these thousands of years later. And God wanted them to tell your children about it. When they ask, when they see these, this little rock, this little pile of stones, 12 of them, he said, take them up, take them on your shoulder. I had a stack of rocks up there at the beginning. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but I don't know how they looked. They were big enough, evidently, that God wanted rocks that were big enough that men carried them on their shoulder. <clears throat> stack them up when they see them. Tell them not just about the rocks, Tell them about the God who created the rocks. The God who made it possible for these rocks to be taken from the, from the middle of the Jordan River. Tell them about God. Tell them about the spiritual heritage, about how he provided for you. And there would be a lot of things to come. He's going to cause the walls of Jericho to fall down. and He's going to give them the land. He's going to protect them. Tell them about God and what God has done for you. We need to remind them of their spiritual heritage. But even more than that, or at least as we continue on, not only should we be mindful of generations yet to come and teach our children about their spiritual heritage, let me just simply suggest to you today that as we read this, this passage teaches us to answer your children's questions. Take time to answer your children's questions. They're going to be asking. That's what God said. That's what children do. I don't know of a child, there may be some who could time, that I don't know of a child who could ask more questions than Daniel, our son, as he was growing up. I mean, he had questions about everything, and that's not bad. He had more questions than I had answers. Okay? But he, we at least tried to answer the ones that we could. Take time to answer your children's questions. Well, not only do you have children asking questions, sometimes they're hard questions. I mentioned Daniel, I mentioned Rachel too. I still remember one of the questions that, that she asked. Why is it when you, when you get a fly or a bug in the car and you're sitting still and you take off why does that fly not hit the back windshield? Okay, parents, I'll answer that this afternoon. I'm going to leave that one open. Children have some good questions. Here's one. Why do we go to church? Why do we go to church? You know, I, I am convinced that children need more than just because of God said to answer. He did say to. Why do we go to church? I remember thinking that when I was growing up. We're going to get all nostalgic again this afternoon. Mentioned the incredible Hulk this morning, you know, in the lesson. But I remember in 1974, there was another television show that started coming on on Friday night. It was called The Six Million Dollar Man. Here's this astronaut. He he crashed, you know, his, his, uh, his space, his rocket crashed. 
and, and, and you know, it messed up his legs and messed up his arm and messed up his eyes. And I can remember, you know, you can see the reruns of it still today on television. And, and as it's coming on, they're talking about we can make him better and stronger and faster than he was before. And, and you see him on the treadmill. And he's running on that treadmill. And he gets up. He's 60 miles an hour on that treadmill. He's running. You know, it was really cool back then, the sound effects that they had. Because when he started running in slow motion, supposedly going 60 miles an hour, they had this, you know, he's got that bionics that you could hear going. Started out on Friday night, but in the second season, they moved it to Sunday night. And it stayed on Sunday night for the rest of the time that it was on. And, And you know, as a child, I was 10 years old when it came on, when it first came on. As a child, you know, you get interested in things like that, and then they move them, and it's Sunday night, and you're going to church. Why do we go to church? Why can't we stay home and watch the $6 million man? Growing up, never got to watch Wild Kingdom. You know, Mary or whatever, I forgot. Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom is on Sunday. You know, uh, what was the one with the, the magical, the, the wonderful world of Disney? Sunday night. Got the amen corner over here. They, they understand. Why did we have to go to church and not get to watch those shows that we like? Again, it's more than simply God said to you. Let me just suggest to you. When our children ask, why do we go to church? Why not tell them? It's because God is the most important person in our life. God is the most important person in our life. And because of who He is, and because of the importance that He has in our life, we worship Him. We worship Him. And He's the only one that we worship. You know, we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. God said, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. He is the only one. In the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verse number 10, as Satan was tempting Jesus, the conversation goes like this, You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only. Shout you serve. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 at verse 13, 1 Samuel chapter 7 verse 13, or 7 verse 3 rather, and bringing these two statements together. But we go to church because we put that one who is so special in our lives that we worship, we always put him first. He's more important than the $6 million man. He's more important than Mutual of Omaha's wild kingdom, even though God created the animals that were on there. God is more important than every other event, than every other person who's in our life. And when we don't go to church... You better believe you're telling your children. When we miss the service, you are telling your children, 
there are things and people who are more important than God. Children ask, why do we go? What will we tell them? You see, God said, I want you to get 12 stones out of the river. I want you to take them. I want you to stack them up. And one of these days, people will be asking, what do these stones mean? Children ask questions. Can I be baptized? Young, young folks ask that a lot. Can I be baptized? They see their friends being baptized. They see someone else at church being baptized. They hear their Bible teachers talk about baptism. They hear it in sermons. And, and, and they ask, can I be baptized? Well, do they know who Jesus is? Do they know what it means to be a sinner? Do they understand, at least to the best of their ability, the concept of repentance? Do they really know what baptism is all about? You know, there are some, some really young children who ask that. And they ask it because they see the Lord's Supper, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. They see the Lord's Supper come around on Sunday morning, and, and they see Mama and Daddy, they get to get some cracker and some juice. It's more than just allowing you to have some crackers and juice on Sunday. You see, we need to help our children understand some things about baptism. And as we think about it, we know that it is for the remission of sins. That's why they need to know something in regard to what sin is and what repentance is and all of those kinds of things. They also need to know that it's to put one into the relationship of Jesus inside Christ. Why is that important? Ephesians 1 verse 3 speaks about all spiritual blessings. And Paul writes about the location of those spiritual blessings. All spiritual blessings are inside Christ. John makes it clear when he writes in the book of 1 John chapter 5 at verse 11, he says, and this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Eternal life is in Jesus Christ. Suppose this morning or this afternoon, I took some tape and I drew a big circle right here in the middle of the aisle. I made this statement. Everyone who's inside this circle gets some ice cream. Who's getting ice cream? How many children do you think is going to get inside that circle? They know where to go. They know what to do. They know that unless you're in that circle, guess what? You're not getting ice cream. Unless we get into Christ, we're not getting His spiritual blessings. Unless we get into Christ, we're not getting eternal life. But baptism is what puts us into Christ. Romans chapter 6 at verse number 3. You see, take time to answer the questions of your children. One of them that they ask quite often, can I be baptized? What about this one? Why do we take the Lord's Supper? Why? Why do we take the Lord's Supper? You know, they like, as I mentioned a moment ago, and sort of did it in a humorous way, they like to watch. They would love just to get a little of the crackers and the juice again, kind of thing. But why? Why do we partake of the Lord's Supper? 
1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, said, This is my body, and which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, it's more than just getting a little snack during church. It's remembering Jesus. It's remembering the sacrifice that he made for us. His death. His death is more than just a physical thing. He came from heaven. He gave up everything in heaven. He came down here for you and for me. And and he sacrificed his life for you and for me. And, 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 you know, we, we won't get into a long theological discussion again in regard to this, but, but in his giving up heaven and coming down here and making himself subject to the Father, there, there is at least some way that, that God, that, that he remains in subjection to his Father for eternity. And he gave it up for you and me. Not only do I proclaim his death, but I keep on doing that, notice what the scripture said, until he comes. Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we remember his death, but we also preach. One day Christ is coming back. We're doing this until he does. Our children need to know something about the Lord's Supper. And these things, because of the sake of time, for of time, for time tonight, you know, I can't deal with these in great detail. We have some lessons planned a little later this year where we'll be dealing with some of these things in greater detail. But our children ask these questions. What about this one? Why don't only the boys get to lead songs on singing night and on Wednesday nights and things of that nature? Why, why, do, why can't the little girls get up and lead songs? Well, what about 1 Timothy chapter 2? Beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings uh, be made for all people. If you're reading from the King James, for all men, in that passage, some of the other translations put it that way as well. What I want you to get is this. Prayers and all of these things that are related to prayer They're to be made, and English Standard helps us out a little bit, they're to be made for all people. That, that in the original language, is the word for people, both men and women. God wants us to pray for everybody. Men, women, boys, girls. But it gets on down a little bit later, still talking about prayer. But notice what he says in verse 8. I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. Even though that first one is translated men in verse 1 in some translations, it's a different word than in verse 8, which translated men. In verse 8, in the original language, it's the word 
for males. Men, males. And so God says, I want the males to be the ones who pray in every place. And contextually, as you're looking through that, you'll note that it seems to be when people are together. He's going to talk about the women and how they're to be adorning themselves in modest apparel and all of these things. And, and it suggests a place where people have come together. It suggests a worship service where we pray. But then he says a little later on in that same chapter, here's why I want the men to do that. Beginning at verse 12, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. God says, there's an order to things. Number one, a created man first. Number two, sin came into the world through the deception that Satan made of Eve. And as a result of that, God says, I've chosen that I want men. I want men to be my spiritual leaders. I want men to be the ones who preach and to teach and to serve as elders and the ones who lead singing when men and women are together. Our children have those questions. You see, God knew all the way back in the days of Joshua that children ask questions. He says, I want you to take some stones out of the river. I want you to stack them up. And when people come walking by and they see these stones, little kids are going to ask one day, what do they mean? What do these stones mean? And I want you to tell them. Answer your children's questions. What about this one? Why can't I go to the dance? You know, it's not all about church. It's not all about being at a worship service. Why can't I go to the dance? Well, we need to answer questions like that for our children. Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus makes a statement there. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit. And here's the one I want you to mark. Sensuality, in the Standard Version says, Envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and they defile a person. That word sensuality is translated in some translations lasciviousness. Lasciviousness. You know in years gone by, preachers probably did a lot more preaching on lasciviousness. They use that word. English Standard translates it sensuality. But the idea is some kind of seductive, lewd act that is, to, that is taking place. That incites and excites wrong kinds of thinking. You can't possibly tell me that some of the actions that take place in modern dance are not designed specifically for that purpose. 
You may try to argue it, but you will lose. Somebody says, well, I can't control what somebody else thinks. Agreed. You cannot control what someone else thinks, but you can influence what they think. You can. Jesus said, when people think the wrong thoughts in regard, sensual thoughts, lascivious thoughts, they're wrong. Comes out of the heart, but we can influence what comes out of a person's heart. But now having introduced that word, let's look at another passage. This one found in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity. Notice the next one. Sensuality. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The ones who think these sensual thoughts, who act in these sensual ways, you can't go to heaven and do those kinds of things. Why can't I go to the dance? I don't want to influence anybody to do wrong, and I don't want to do wrong myself. Paul wrote about that sensuality there in verse uh, number 19, but he wasn't finished. Look down to verse number 20, I guess it is, 21. And there are two more things that Paul mentions there. One of them in the English Standard Version is translated orgies. Orgies. If you look up the meaning of that word, the, the original word that's used there, we're told... There's Greek English lexicon. It's used generally of feast and drinking parties that are protracted to late at night and indulge in revelry. Revelry, revelry that he speaks of has to do with the dances and things that, that went with it. That reminds you of anything spelled P R O M? Feast, drinking parties, protracted to late at night, indulging in revelry. You know, thinking about that term P-R-O-M, it originally came from the word promenade, in which, you know, people were introduced to one another and they somewhat serenaded one another and Now it's more befitting of the word promiscuous rather than promenade. Why can't I go to the dance? Because the Bible speaks against actions like that. But Paul wasn't through. Stay there in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse number 21. He's spoken about sensuality. He's spoken about, back in verse 19, he's spoken about orgies in verse 21. And then he sort of ends that, his thoughts there, and things like these. 
things like these. If it even is close to things like these, Christians are not to engage in them. We need to explain that to our children. We need to help them understand what it means, what their spiritual heritage is, what God wants us to do because of what He's done for us. Why can't I go? Who should I marry? What do we teach our children about marriage? You know, it's probably true in about 100% of the cases in our world today that especially in the United States, that a person will marry whoever he dates or she dates. Right? Well, who do we date? Well, we want to date somebody that would be fitting of a husband or a wife. What kind of values do they have? And tonight, we won't take, this afternoon, we won't take time to, to deal with a lot of those issues, but we need to be helping our children understand, even when they're young, the kind of mate that they should be searching for in years to come. <clears throat> How do I manage my money? <coughs> do you spend everything? Do you save some? Do you give like you should? How do I manage my money? Does the Bible have anything to say in regard to money? Money matters? Absolutely it does. Children need to know these kinds of things. What should I do with my life? Recently involved in a conversation where I was told about a young lady, 17 years old, who was asked the question, what are you going to do with your life? And after pressing the situation a little bit, she responded, with what she wanted to do. Well, how are you going to get to that point? And the problem is, sometimes we don't have a clue. It may be that we're not even qualified and never will be to make some kind, to make something in our life. There may be things in our life that we would like to be that we shouldn't be, but we need to know where we need to go and we need to know how we need to get there. Now that's a big statement. There's a lot involved in it. But we need to be helping our children learn these things. Where are they going in life? Where are they going? I tried to be a preacher today. And there is probably, there's no telling how many hundreds of times I was asked when I was growing up, what are you going to be when you grow up? My answer was, I'm going to be a preacher. I had influences in my life that pointed me in that direction, and that's what I'm trying to do today. We need to be helping our young people understand our children. Mamas and daddies need to help children, need to help them know where they're going in life. They need to understand these kinds of things. There are a lot of other questions, but as we close out this afternoon, I don't want you to forget what is said here in the book of Joshua chapter 4. When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. I realize that's not the entirety of the reading, but that's the gist 
of what we get there. When your children ask, let them know. Let them know. Maybe that you're here today and there's something that you need to make right in your life. It may be that you have decided that you want to be a faithful Christian, that you want to obey the Lord, put Him on in baptism. If we can assist you in any way right now, why don't you come? It's together we stand in. We're now going to have a word of prayer, and afterwards we'll have uh, those exit so they can place their worship. So let us pray to our God. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the opportunity we've had today to come together to sing praises to Thee, to worship Thee, the true and living God. Father, we're thankful for these lessons. We pray that we'll take what we've learned today, meditate upon them, and apply them to our life. We pray for those that are sick. Be with those that are tending to them. May they soon enjoy better health. We pray for all those with lost loved ones. Be with them, Father, in only the way thou can. Forgive us when we fail thee. We know we come short of thy glory from time to time. Help us always, day by day, to put thee first. 